And now, a scripture reading from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the thing that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. The word of the Lord. So shortly after Jesus dies and then raises from the dead, two of his disciples are walking along a road. They're walking probably back home to a town called Emmaus. Now from history, Emmaus has been kind of lost to us. We don't know which town was Emmaus. We're not even sure exactly where it was, but we are told that it's probably about a seven mile walk from Jerusalem by Luke. So these two disciples of Jesus that we've never even heard of before and we never hear from again are walking on this road, leaving Passover celebrations in Jerusalem and heading home. And as they're walking along, they're bemoaning 
the hope that they had had in Jesus and what they feel like they've lost in his death. Interesting thing is that they already have heard news that Jesus raised from the dead. They even make a comment later in the story here that some of the women among them had visited the tomb and Jesus' body was gone. But this goes again to explain why it's so significant that women are the first witnesses to the resurrection. Because even these disciples of Jesus's, the people who are most likely to believe this story, don't believe it. And probably don't believe it because it's women that are carrying this message. And who knows what hysteria they might be in or what kind of imaginations they might have within their grief. And so, they don't quite believe it. They haven't seen it for themselves yet. And so they're still suspicious. But they're walking along and all of a sudden, a stranger comes alongside them and begins to talk with them. This stranger we know from the story is Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus. Why, why don't they know it's Jesus? I mean, if you were walking along and I came alongside you and I started walking with you, you would know that it's me. So what, what's going on here? Well, when we look at all the resurrection accounts, it's pretty interesting that in every single one of them, people don't recognize Jesus by appearance. So there's something going on in this something going on in the mystery of the resurrection, in the mystery of what happens for, to us and to our bodies in the final resurrection that Jesus brought into the midst of time that's only was supposed to happen at the end of time and still is planned to happen at the end of time, that what happens to our bodies? And something happens in some way where in every single occurrence, people don't recognize Jesus immediately for who he is. They're not quite sure who this person who they're interacting with is until something sparks their memory, sparks their knowledge of who they knew Jesus to be. So they don't know who he is. And yet he's walking with them, talking with them. And he had heard some part of their conversation because he asked them what they're talking about. And they said, well, we're talking about all these things that have gone on. And Jesus, being the snarky, goofy guy, I think he probably is and was, he says, what things? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Jesus, who just raised from the dead, conquered sin and death, knows exactly what they're talking about, says, what things? <laughs> There's some humor in this story for sure. Jesus is joyously um, reflecting his own sense of humor in this story as we see him ask this question. But the disciples don't hesitate. Immediately they're shocked that this traveler on the road hasn't heard about it all. I mean, everybody, everybody has heard about Jesus in Nazareth. I mean, people were coming from all over the place to have their sick healed. They were listening to his sermons out in the countryside. And of course, everybody witnessed his arrest and his crucifixion. 
So how in the world could there be somebody so ignorant of these events in the last few days that they wouldn't know about them? So they question him. Well, don't you know these things? Don't you know about Jesus of Nazareth? They had to qualify that he was Jesus of Nazareth because if you remember, there was actually two different Jesuses arrested in the Passover and Pilate was choosing between one of the two of them to release and that's when the crowd yells for Jesus Barabbas and not for Jesus of Nazareth. And so they qualify, you know, you know of Jesus of Nazareth. We had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Emphasis here on a, a past tense, a, a, actually an imperfect past tense, where the meaning was that we were, we were actively hoping, but our hopes are in question now. We're not sure what to think anymore. Jesus, here's his two disciples who he knows well, and he, he says, well, maybe you could still hope. And he begins to open for them all of the scriptures concerning himself from Moses onward, which means the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, that Jesus takes these sacred scriptures and all the prophets that come after them in the history books and the Proverbs and the Psalms, and he begins to show them how they all pointed to the need for the Messiah to suffer and die. It's kind of interesting that many of the teachers of Israel had missed this point, that it's fairly clear in the reading and some rabbis had understood it. Others had understood the conversations about suffering in the Old Testament to refer to the people of God, Israel, who would suffer until the Messiah would come and redeem them and rescue them. Somehow they missed that it wasn't to be Israel who would suffer alone, but that Israel was going to birth one who was going to suffer on behalf of all humanity. So, Jesus points this out to them, walks them through all the scriptures, tells them how the Messiah had to suffer, had to die. And somehow, in the midst of this discussion, as they're walking along the road, they still don't get as Jesus. They get to their location they're walking seven miles, so they're walking for at least a good two, three hours. They're taking a fairly leisurely pace. So Jesus had lots of time to extrapolate on what the scriptures say about the Messiah. And yet, they didn't get that it was him. And so they get to the home at the end. And they walk into their home, and Jesus, it says acts as though he's going to continue on. Now, I've always loved this scripture. I've loved this passage. I love it partially because of Jesus' 
acting as though he's going to go on. Some scholars will argue and say that Jesus wasn't play acting, that he was legitimately going to carry on, was going to go on if they didn't invite him in. But they're missing something about Middle Eastern culture, because I've known a few people in my life who've come from the Middle East, and there is a culture of hospitality in the Middle East that is very specific, that almost everybody would show hospitality, invite somebody in to eat in their home, dine with them, offer them drinks, food, and it's customary, it's expected that the one being offered the gift of hospitality would turn it down, would say no. It's a way of showing a deference to the host and giving them the option to say no if they don't want to actually host you and they were just saying that they wanted you in for their meal or for the drink or whatever purely out of nicety. So if you say no, then they have a chance to infer again. No, seriously, come in, join us. And this dance might happen back and forth multiple times before finally the parties relent and they come in. So we don't know how this interaction totally took place in this scripture, but we know that Jesus pretends like he's going to go on, but he fully knows that he's planning on revealing himself to these two disciples. And so they invite him in. He says yes, and he comes into the house. And for some reason, they give him the honor of blessing the food that they're going to eat. This should have been the job of the host to bless the food. But they just spent hours on the road with this man who opened their eyes to scriptures, who had been so wise in teaching them. And so they give him this honor. Maybe they defer to him and ask him, Rabbi, teacher, you've taught us so much. Will you bless this food for us? Much like many of you might ask me to pray if you invited me over for dinner for the meal. So Jesus does something that's kind of in his custom. We learn about it from the Last Supper, that it was his custom and something that he specifically and uniquely did before a meal that he would take the bread and he would lift it up. He would raise it up into the sky and he would pray to the Father and he would break it. He would thank the Father for the meal. This is an interesting thing because it's at this moment that these two disciples who didn't recognize Jesus as he walked alongside them, didn't recognize Jesus after hours of conversation with him, didn't recognize him after he came into the light of the candles of their house for a meal, if it was dark outside. And it's at this moment when he lifts his hands up, that they recognize him. Why now? Well, I think there's a trio of things. The first thing, I think, is that as Jesus lifted up that bread, he did something that they were all familiar with seeing Jesus do many times before as they've watched him break bread with his disciples. 
And so they recognize this to be a unique thing that Jesus would do. I also think that there's a secondary effect here. And that's with the intimacy that Jesus speaks to the Father asking for blessing. It's not one of just a generic request, but one who has an intimacy with the Father that they had witnessed Jesus of Nazareth have in his ministry. But then the third one is kind of interesting. If you think about what would happen when, if you were wearing robes and you lifted your hands up, this might be the first moment that these two disciples got a glimpse at Jesus's hands and his wrists were unmistakably the wounds of his crucifixion were. We find this out next week in our story when Jesus appears to the 12 in the upper room. We see that Jesus invites Thomas to touch the wounds because they're still there in his resurrected body. Not scars, by the way. Wounds still there. Eternal memorial of the love of God, forgiveness of God, compassion of God on a rebellious people who have rejected his advances for millennia. So Jesus raises this bread much like he's done many times before. He breaks it. He speaks in intimacy with the Father. And they see his hands. And it's at this moment that the disciples knew who he was. And then Jesus disappears. <laughs> Resurrected bodies don't appear to follow the rules of physics that our bodies are limited to as Jesus seems to appear and disappear at different times in his resurrection. And immediately after he disappears, these two disciples begin to shout out with joy and they begin to say to each other, wasn't our hearts, weren't our hearts burning within us as he spoke to us on the road, as he opened the scriptures to us? And they're so excited because it's at this moment that they get their own confirmation that the testimony of the women, the first evangelists, was true. And that Jesus has not died. Instead, he suffered, not just for Israel, not just to redeem Israel out of the hand of the Romans, but for all of humanity. This story is a wonderful story because you can easily put yourself into it. We walk along in a journey in this world, in life. And as we walk along in this journey of life, Jesus walks alongside us. Sometimes he's there. We don't recognize him. Sometimes he's sharing with us and opening to us the truths of the scriptures and we don't see it. But Jesus is there nonetheless. And then at different points in our lives, we get a glimpse, a glimpse of something that tells us that that one who was walking by us this whole time has been our Lord. 
I've had those moments in my life and I pray for them, for you. Will you join me in being eager to encounter the resurrected Jesus in the presence of his Holy Spirit in our lives? To doubt no longer, but to live in the hope that his resurrection gives us that no matter what virus, what war, what famine, what poverty might strike us. If he, can, if he is for us, who could be against us? Let us come in that faith for the risen Lord. Friends, as we close our worship today and go back into our homes and be with our families in our normal day-to-day -day lives, I encourage you to remember Remember that God loves you and God is walking with you even in this crisis. Even if you don't recognize him at times, God is with you and walking with you. So be encouraged and make sure that you encourage others in the resurrection so that they might have hope in these times which can be so hopeless. Now, go in the name of the resurrected Lord and love others like Jesus loved so that they might come to know Jesus as well. Amen. Amen.